0: The Gospel according to Mark, chapter 10. I want to begin reading tonight in verse 32. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Please notice Jesus has just talked about all the things he's going to suffer and they're most concerned with themselves. Verse 36, he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we're able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared. When the Turk 10 heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them. Notice James and John did. Notice they thought that they were just somehow entitled to the best seats. That was their main concern as Jesus talked about all the things that he was about to go through. And when the other apostles found out about it, one." one version says they were indignant. They were were greatly displeased, they were upset. But Jesus used this to teach a lesson. He said, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many One of Kirk's recent Marco Polos was on the GOAT, and for those of you that don't know what that acronym stands for, it stands for the greatest of all time, and that discussion is had in sports and other areas, and as Kirk on the Marco Polo talked, he talked about the greatest of all time in the church, and Jesus told us who the greatest of all time in all situations would be in the church, the greatest would be the one who humbled themselves to be the servant of all. By the way, for those of you that read the Bulletin article for this week, um, I I said in it, you're really missing out if you don't have the Marco Polo app or if you do have it and don't listen to it. A lot of good short devotionals to start your day with on there and this was one of them. And so I got to thinking about this and you may say, well I thought we were doing a, a Sunday night sermon series on going back to the well. Well, we are. Tonight we're gonna continue with that sermon series going back to the well, even though we started with this account, even though we started with this account that took place hundreds and hundreds of years after the events that are going to serve as our main theme tonight or our central theme. One of the reasons I started here is because our theme tonight transcends all times It transcends all places. It transcends all situations for God's faithful, right up to and including today, as we shall see. Tonight, we are going to talk about lesson number five in our Going Back to the Well series, and tonight's lesson is entitled The Well of Humility. The Well of Humility. Moses is one of the greatest men of God ever mentioned in the Bible. Moses was an incredible man of God. God's law, check this out, God's law that was given to the children of Israel to live by was actually called the law of Moses. Wow, God's law was called the law of Moses, yes, in Joshua 8 and verse 31. Moses was an incredible man of God. You'll recall that when our Lord and Savior was praying on the mountain, it was Elijah and Moses, that great Old Testament deliverer and lawgiver, whose Old Testament ministry of freeing God's people from slavery to Egypt so much mirrored our Savior's ministry of of freeing people from slavery to sin, it was Elijah and Moses who appeared in glory and spoke of Jesus decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem according to Luke chapter 9 verses 30 31. In Numbers 12 and verse 3 it also tells us that Moses was very humble, your version may say meek. In fact, Numbers 12-3 would tell us that Moses was the meekest or most humble man on the face of the earth. But here's the thing. Here's the point. That incredible humility that he's known for, Numbers 12 and verse 3. That incredible humility that led to his incredible greatness did not come quickly, easily, or without great controversy. That's what you have to know. Let me say it again. Moses' incredible humility that led to his incredible greatness did not come quickly, easily, or without great controversy or cost. That's our lesson tonight. Consider with me Acts 7. Please turn there, beginning at verse 17. In Acts chapter seven, Stephen is giving the history of the Old Testament people of God. And he describes Moses and, and that set of circumstances. In Acts chapter 7, beginning at verse 17, Stephen said, "But When the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Moses was born into a bloody conflict with his Hebrew brethren being sorely oppressed by the Egyptians. Brother Heaton, in his outline of of these different wells, wrote the following. He said, Growing up in the house of Pharaoh would give Moses a sense of authority. Think about that, if you haven't before. He learned all the wisdom of the Egyptians and became a mighty man in words and deeds. As the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he was a man of great influence. As a prince of Egypt, his life was filled with wealth, power, and knowledge. Consider with me for just a moment those words. As, as he was growing up, he would be accustomed to people doing what he told them to do. He would be accustomed to having uh, all of these people at his at his beck and call. He would have all of this power and authority, which can lead, unfortunately, at times, to pride. Acts chapter 7, beginning at verse 23, continues. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. Remember verse 25. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and he tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him, that is Moses, away saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled, became a dweller in the land of Midian where he had two sons. It's key for us to notice again verse 25. Stephen explains the reason that Moses killed the Egyptian was because Moses thought of himself as a deliverer of the people, according to Brother Heaton. He continued to write, "'Their rescue would come by his hand,' he thought. Did Moses discount the Lord's involvement to come by his hand? Was he filled with pride to believe that it was by him, that is Moses, that the children of Abraham were going to be delivered from bondage? The day Moses killed the man, he believed the Hebrews would embrace him as their hero. This did not happen. Moses feared and fled as Pharaoh, sought his life. Let's read the actual account of that in Exodus 2. Turn there with me if you would please. Get a few more details, a little better picture. Exodus chapter 2. Plus the fact we're going to be back here in Exodus 2 and 3 for a few minutes. Exodus 2 beginning in verse 11. It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. He said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then that one said, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, He sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. The journey to Midian was over 200 miles. Put yourself in Moses' place for a moment. 200 miles. Couldn't just, you know, jump in the car and jump on 44 and do (coughs) 75 miles an hour was a long time. Brother Heaton says the journey to Midian was over 200 miles. Moses was running scared. He probably thought the agents of Pharaoh would find him and kill him. The man who once walked the majestic halls of Egypt's elite was now a hunted man. Finally exhausted, he came to a well of water. If that were you, what are you thinking about? How are your sports teams doing? No. What are you thinking about? You've had this power and this position and and all of this wealth and knowledge and all of this, and and you've gone, as as Brother Heaton explained, you have gone from the majestic halls of Egypt's elite to now being a hunted man. That would be constantly going through my mind. Are they going to find me? Are they going to catch me? How am I going to answer? What's going to happen? Finally exhausted, he came to a well of water, seeking refreshment. He must have pondered his life. I would have. I mean, the scripture doesn't say that, but he must have been thinking about it. Brother Heaton continues, How could it be just a short time ago? He was the recipient of great wealth. Now he was nothing. It was at this well that Moses' life would change dramatically again. If we look in our text here in Exodus chapter 2, beginning at verses 16 running down through the rest of the chapter, we would find that as Moses is there at the well, that seven daughters of the priest of Midian come out to the well to get water. This was women's work, and they come out in that day and age to get the water. And there's some shepherds there, and you can read this account for yourself. I'm not going to read it word for word, but some shepherds come out and and they give these these daughters a hard time and and all of that and and Moses stands up and he intercedes on behalf of the women. He defends defends them, if you will. And so, eventually what winds up happening is that Moses is invited back to the house of this priest of Midian who had these seven daughters, and time goes by and, and he marries Zipporah, one of them, and It's at that point that this formerly rich and powerful prince of Egypt now becomes a bottom of the ladder, lowly shepherd in a foreign land over the next 40 years, according to Acts 7 and verse 30. To go from all of that to becoming just a lowly shepherd. we talk about the story of of David tending his father's sheep while while David's older brothers were off at war and we often talk about that was a slave's job to tend the sheep. That was was about the bottom of the ladder and and here's Moses now and and here he is as a lowly shepherd, 40 years. It's a long time, four decades. Think where you were 40 years ago. Some of you weren't even around. 40 years, according to Acts 7:30. 40 years being a humble shepherd before God. In God's perfect timing and wisdom and providence, comes to Moses in a burning bush and lets Moses know, now you're finally ready. God comes and, and we know the story in Exodus 3 and lets Moses know now you're ready. Now you're ready to deliver my people. Now you are ready to be the man and the deliverer that I, God, have always intended for you to be, Exodus 3. But there's a problem. There's a big problem. At least from a human perspective. Moses is not the same Moses that we read about in Acts 7 who, was, who thought his brethren would understood that he was there to deliver them by his hand and, and he thought they should understand. That, that Moses ain't that guy anymore. Moses is a whole different person. Moses is a completely changed man. He's a humbled man. He's no longer the, the self-confident deliverer. Now he's just a meek, lowly, unassuming, and unpretentious shepherd. He is now one who no longer considers himself anywhere near being the one to deliver his countrymen. He's no longer anywhere near Assuming that they should expect him to do anything about the situation about how they should just naturally understand he was there to deliver them by his hand. This ain't the same Moses. Now he is one who responds completely opposite, completely to the contrary. Look with me in Exodus 3 verses 10 and 11. Look at the change in this man. Exodus 3 verse 10, God says, come now therefore and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Do you see the turnaround? The turnaround's complete. Earlier on, I'm the man and they all ought to understand. 40 years later, herding and sheep, he said, who am I that, that, that who you got the wrong God, you got the wrong fellow, that ain't me. You see the difference? And, and, and I back that up, and yes, those are my terms, but if we, if we continue to, to read down through there, in chapter 4 and verse 1, he keeps saying other things along those same lines. After, after he says in verse 11 of chapter 3, who am I that, that I should do this? He follows that up in chapter 4 and verse 1 by saying, but suppose they won't listen to me. That wasn't a problem back then. Well, it's a problem now. In chapter four and verse 10, he says, I'm not eloquent, I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. God deals with that. In verse 13 of chapter four, he said, please send someone else. He no longer wanted the job. He no longer thought himself worthy. He no longer wanted any part of of what he was so charged up to do 40 years earlier. What on earth happened to Moses? Tell you what happened. God took him from where he thought he was ready to do the job to where God knew he was ready to do the job. That's what happened. God, in forty years of herding sheep in the Midian wilderness, had made all the difference. In the now mighty in God's sight, man of God, Moses. Moses had to be humbled. Moses had to be brought to the point of understanding he was nothing and all that was going to be done was going to be done by God's hand and not his. Moses had to be humbled and broken down, if you will. And, and as I considered that, it, it brought to my mind just how prevalent that truth that Jesus taught his disciples that we first started with in Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45, how true true that is. Listen, until one is put in a position whereby they are broken, humbled, and brought low, they will never be able to completely rise up and become the great and incredible leader for God that he wants and intends and desires for them to be. Really think about that. Until one is put in the position whereby they are broken, humbled, and brought low, they will never be able to fully rise up and become the great, incredible leader that God wants, intends, and desires for them to be. That's what happened to Moses. And you know what? Moses is not alone. If you stop and think about it, how many great, incredible servants of God were men that... Had to be humbled, that were humbled, broken down, before they came to realize what true greatness in the eyes of God was. Turn to me to Psalm 51. Mighty King David, as we talked about story this morning, goes out, claims another man's wife for his own, has the has the woman's husband killed, thought he got away with it, tried to cover it all up. He was king. What what is he doing? What is he doing on that rooftop watching her bathe while all the other guys are out fighting? What is he doing when he finds out that's another man's wife and, and ordering her to be brought him? Did David know the commandments? We assume he did, he was a religious man. But David was broken. Psalm 51 is believed to have been written by David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. You want to see a broken man? You want want to see a great leader of God who was an incredible leader, but one who was broken in the process and had to be from his own pride. Psalm 51, beginning at verse 10, he cries out, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. David had lost his joy. And uphold me by your generous spirit. David knew he couldn't uphold himself. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. Yes, God, I did that to Uriah, but please only you can deliver me. I cannot deliver myself is the implication. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. David finally gets it here. Look at this. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would get, if there was anything I could give to make this up, if there were anything I could give to pay this price for what I've done, if, if in all of my treasuries I could, I could give anything that would make the difference, I would, but you do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, these O oh God, You will not despise. Was David a great man of God? Yes, but David learned greatness and became even greater in his humility, in his brokenness, and he's not alone. Turn to me to Matthew 26. If ever there was an apostle that (laughs) needed to be humbled, and indeed was, it was Peter. And again, these are familiar passages, but from, from a different theme. And I want us to understand, we talk about Peter and, and his greatness and his epistles. And I've preached from his epistles for two mornings. And we talk about, i he preached the first gospel sermon in Acts 2 and 3,000 were baptized, and, and how he went to Cornelius's house and, and preached the first gospel sermon that, that we have recorded in the scriptures in the house of the Gentile, and all these great things that Peter did. And, but I'll tell you what, and Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3.9, The Lord is patient with you. Huh. He was a man who got humbled and learned that. Matthew 26 and verse 31. And Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Please notice, before I go any further, if you're going to argue with that statement that Jesus just made, then you're arguing with Scripture. Because Jesus said, Scripture says this. Okay? It is written but after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I'll never be made to stumble. Not gonna happen, not on this planet, not happening. Jesus tried to reason with him. Jesus said to him assuredly, Peter, for real, if I may, I say to you this night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Peter said to me, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. I'll die with you first. Jesus is arrested, Peter runs like a scared rabbit. In verse 75, when that rooster crows after the denials, verse 75 of chapter 26, Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and went bitterly. Peter was broken but look at the man that Peter became out of the ashes of that humility look at Peter as you read through his epistles and and when he tells you that the Lord is patient not wanting any to perish but all to come to repentance Peter lived that Peter knew that because He had been shown that very thing. Yes, he wrote by divine inspiration, but he'd also experienced it. Many of the greatest men of God in the entire Bible were men who were humbled and broken first. Think of Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter nine on the road to Damascus. Here's this man who's who's arresting Christians and and he's on his way with letters from the council, the high priest, to go and to arrest them even in, in foreign cities. And he's got this entourage with him, And Jesus literally puts him on his knees. I mean, he puts him down, if you will. He couldn't see because of this great light. And that once proud man who started into the city, going to arrest Christians, he's going to be the man, has to be taken by the hand like a two year old, led into the city because he can't see anything. He's been humbled. Did that do anything to him? <laughs> Made him one of the greatest leaders that the church has ever known, did it not? But he had to be broken first. And, and, and we think later on, the apostle Paul himself, Saul of Tarsus, but many years later, look in 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. Again, a familiar text. But <clears throat> Paul had all of these reasons for pride to just eat him up. And he talks about some of those in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses one through five, talks about these, these revelations and all of that. And then he says this in verse seven of 2 Corinthians 12, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That thorn in the flesh kept Paul humble. David, Peter, Paul, that's some pretty high profile men of the Bible, isn't it? But you know what? Even our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in a little different way, granted, but even Jesus himself had to both experience and exhibit an unbelievable amount of humility as i said a little different but had to experience and exhibit an unbelievable amount of humility in order to be and do everything that god wanted him to be jesus could not be everything god wanted him to be until he humbled himself scripture tells us that turn to philippians chapter 2 Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name if Jesus Christ had not humbled himself and put on human flesh and come down here and then humbled himself even further to the point of even going to the cross he humbled himself before God and did God's will if he had not done that he could not be our Savior amen Is that right even Jesus experienced and exhibited an unbelievable amount of humility in order to be in to do all that God required of him but brethren while true humility is the path to true greatness as God's people the Old Testament is rife with passages that not only tell us the same truth but tell us the incredible blessing we will get if we are humble the incredible blessings and and I'm just going to read these to you and I'll give you the references don't try to turn there because you're not going to keep up okay but you can write them down listen to the blessings for those who truly will humble themselves 2 Samuel twenty-two twenty-eight 28 says you will save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty that you may bring them down. Psalm 18 and verse 27 says you will save the humble people, but will bring down haughty looks. Psalm 25 and verse nine, the humble he guides in justice and the humble he teaches his way. Don't you wanna know God's way? Well, it takes being humble to learn it According to Psalm 25 and verse 9. Psalm 147 and verse 6, I love this. You want the Lord to lift you up? Want the Lord to lift you up when you're down, when you just you got nowhere to turn, and you're in that hole and you're in that pit and you just need to be picked up. You need to be lifted up. And at the end, when our bodies are in that grave, we want want our spirits to be lifted up to heaven. We want to be lifted up by God. Listen to this text. Psalm 147, verse 6: the Lord lifts up the humble. I need that. Psalm 149 verse four, "For the Lord takes pleasure in His people, He will beautify the humble with salvation. You ever needed God's grace? He gives grace to the humble. That's what it says in Proverbs three and verse 34. In Proverbs 11:2, it says, "When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. Moses Early on, when he killed the Egyptian, had the pride thing going on, it appears. But, but after 40 years, he had been humbled to the point that he was a different man. And, and God wasn't ready for him when he was so full of pride to be the leader. But only after he had been humbled and God had worked with him and gotten him, gotten him to the point that he was so broken, he said, Lord, who am I that I should go? God says, okay, if, if I may, God didn't say this, but the implication is, now he's ready. God says, now, now I'm gonna send you, Exodus 2 and 3. That's what it took. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Two other passages. You need a little more joy in your life? We could all use a little more joy, couldn't we, some days? Isaiah 29, 19, the humble also shall increase their joy in the Lord. And the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Finally, Isaiah 57 in verse 15. Listen to what God says. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God said, that's who lives with me and that's who I live with, the humble ones. And I live with them to revive their spirit. Let me say this one more time, said it earlier. Until one is put in a position whereby they are broken, humbled and brought low. They will never be able to rise up and become the great and incredible leader that God wants and desires and intends for them to be. 40 years in the wilderness, Uh uh-huh. 40 years herding sheep in a foreign land, Uh uh-huh. You can reason out the answer to this in your own head, but do you think that while Moses is out there 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 years in the wilderness, do you suppose during that time frame that Moses says, boy, this is great. God's getting me ready for that journey and that great mission he's got for me. Well, apparently not, because when God comes to him and says, okay, it's time to go, he says, whoa, not me. That, that really wasn't the thought process while he's out there. So "I'm getting... And so I ask us this. If you are in a position tonight where you are in the process, God has you in this process of being broken or humbled or brought low. You may not be able to understand it in those terms any more than Moses did, but you know what you need to do? You need to praise God because God knows what he's doing even when you don't. You may not be able to see God's process of humbling you as being a good thing any more than the prince of Egypt, Moses, did during his first, second, or third decade in the Midian wilderness chasing a bunch of sheep around or leading them. But that didn't change the fact that that's exactly what God was doing. Moses' transformation and his start of the training he needed in order to truly become the great and incredible leader God wanted him to be wanted him to be all began at the well of humility if I may use that term began there in Midian just as ours begin around water too. Ours begins when we humble ourselves listen it takes a lot it takes a lot for some people For many people, we live in a pride-driven world, it takes a lot for people to say, I've sinned and I'm in a wrong relationship with God. I've sinned and I'm not right with God. Some people can't get to that point. They just won't humble. It takes humility for us around the water of baptism. It takes humility for us to come to that water and admit that we are sinners. To humble ourselves, and be born again of the water and the spirit. To say, you know, I often tell people that have been baptized for a different reason than the scripture says in another time for other reasons, man-made doctrines and all that. As, as I study with them a lot of times, we'll get to that point where we'll talk about baptism in Acts 2 and it's for the forgiveness of sins. And they'll see it and they'll read it and they'll say, yeah, I, I really need to do this. And, and usually about that point, I'll say something like this you do realize that by saying you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, that your sins as you sit there right now are not forgiven, right? Is that what it means? And that's a hard pill for some people to swallow. People who've gone to church for decades to some man-made denomination that doesn't do what the Bible says to be saved, that's a hard, but I'm telling you, It takes humility to come to that point and say, I can read what God said, and he said, I need to be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, and that means that my sins have not yet been forgiven because I have not yet been baptized for that reason the way God says. That takes humility. That's where it starts, around that water. That only he, that living water that only he has to offer. Maybe you've never done that. Tonight would be a great time to do that, amen, church? But maybe you have. Maybe since that day you've been, perhaps, pursued. Think of Moses. Maybe you've been pursued, persecuted, reviled, rejected. Maybe maybe life as a Christian isn't everything you thought it was going to be. Perhaps some of your brethren whom you thought would really understand that you were only trying to help them have instead not understood that and rejected you and your efforts to try and help set them free. And if so, if any of those things are so, then what you need to understand tonight is how God Almighty Himself both can and will use that to make you a better leader if you will let him. A better leader in your home, a better leader in your relationships, a better leader in the church, a better leader wherever you are. God can and will use all of those things as you are humbled and broken so that he can rebuild you into that incredible leader, that humble leader that he needs so many more of amongst his people if you would begin that training transformation tonight by being baptized into Christ, or if you've already done that and you need the prayers of the church to better understand the the current humbling that you're undergoing, we stand ready to assist you in any of those things as we stand and as we sing. Come to the well of humility now.